You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. everybody welcome to the paranormal portal podcast i hope you guys are having a wonderful night and thank you so much for tuning in and supporting all that we're doing here on the podcast it's uh been amazing you guys have been amazing out there uh checking us out and subscribing and downloading and um it's just a real real pleasure uh of course i'm your host brent thomas this is the paranormal portal podcast and uh once again special thanks to revolver podcast for making all this possible it's a big show for us here tonight on the Paranormal Welcome Portal. We uh, big show. we brought in a special guest, and it's his first appearance here on the Portal, and we're absolutely honored to have him, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm sure he's a name that really doesn't need any introduction, but I'm going to introduce him all the same, <laughs> because otherwise I would just be uh, remiss in my duties as the MC and host of the portal. So, uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Vic Hundiff to the show of Dogman Encounters Radio and Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. He is with us today to enlighten us on the ways of the Dogman. Welcome, sir. How you doing? I'm doing great, and you? Oh, we're doing great, and thank you so much for making this work and coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Well, it's great being on, you know, kind of let down guys. You kind of built this guest up and everything. You said you had this great guest lined up for tonight's show. And I'm thinking, wow, who do they have lined up for the show? And then you said it was me. And I thought, okay. The man's a comedian as well. That's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great show with a great guest that couldn't make it. So instead we're bringing you Vic Hundiff, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. (laughs) It's good to have you, man. I've been a listener of Dogman Encounters for a long time and I, you know, I I've got to say that you you have been like at the spearhead, the tip of the spear, on bringing the dogman into the under our you know social consciousness, so to speak. Um, what you're doing and, and what you've done is is really, I think, firmly established it in you know in the minds of all of us paranormal encrypted enthusiasts. But uh, you, how how did this all start for you? 
Well, back in 2007 and 2008, I was a co-host on a podcast called Campfire Shadows with the now-deceased, unfortunately, Shane McMahon. And when I was co-hosting that show with Shane, there were regulars, Bear, everyone knows Bear, Bear and Kumbo and and Dan Rickey and Vicky. Well, they would come on the show and they would talk about their latest adventure out into maybe the LBL or some other place where they were out boogering. Well, at one point, Bear came back and was talking about this outing that they went on where they ran into this dog-faced booger. That's what he called it. Oh. And when I heard that term, that appellation, dog-faced booger, I thought, okay, well, they were just talking about some kind of funny-looking Sasquatch. Uh-huh. Well, as I dug more and more into it, and I found out that, no, this wasn't a Sasquatch he was talking about. It was something that looked kind of like a werewolf. Or a lot like a werewolf. I thought, whoa, I've got to look more into this. And as I dug more and more into the dogman phenomenon, I found out that they were actually called dogmen. And there came a point where I realized, okay, if you have a Sasquatch encounter, you can practically go to your corner store and find someone to get help if you need help talking to someone about your experience or experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought if you have a dogman encounter, where do you go? Who do you talk to to try and get help so that you can deal with it in a healthy way? And I thought, well, you know, there really is no one out there that you could do that with. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what? There's a, a niche that needs to be filled here. Well, of course, it wasn't until years later where I put all the pieces together for dogman encounters, but that was the genesis of it. Mm. That's really that's really cool. And And yeah, I mean... You know, for me, I don't think Dogman entered my entered my vocabulary for, uh, you know, maybe it was about ten years ago at the at the earliest that I finally heard some kind of mention of it. But this this phenomenon just kind of it well, it seems it seems as if it just suddenly appeared. Um, but you know, once I started looking into it, uh, I think isn't the earliest uh, encounter from some lumberjacks in Michigan in the eighteen hundreds? Is that right? Yeah, 1887 in Wexford County, Michigan. That's the first documented dogman encounter. Wow. Now, is there is there a tradition in the First Nations as well for these? And I, I, this is a this just kind of occurred yeah. to me now, but I, I I don't remember ever hearing too much about it uh, as far as far as a reference like that. Oh yeah, yeah, they have legends. There are plenty of legends amongst Native Americans about dogmen. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, almost as many, it seems like, as with Sasquatch and some of the Native American groups. But, yeah, it's easy to think that because almost all you hear about with regards to cryptids would be Sasquatch, that there really isn't much on the dogman side. But there's a lot more to it than what most people know. So, and yeah, they've been here for a long time. I'm sure they predate us when it comes down to it. Wow. Oh, sure. So they, you think that they've been they've been a part of this, of this area at least uh – since about the same amount of time as a Bigfoot, would you suppose? Oh, I'll bet they have. I'm sure they have. Okay. Now, I got to ask you some, some questions about, about the history of, of the Dogman, because this is, this is something that comes up. Uh, you know, a lot of people you know, think that Dogman is a new phenomenon, brand new. It's just been kind of invented, and, and that certainly doesn't seem to be the case. But there's these ancient references to, like, the sinocephaly. Mm-hmm. And do you think that these are the same thing as the sinocephaly that are reported from the, the ancient world? No, definitely not. Okay. The sinocephali, they walked 
in a plantigrade manner. They have hominid-style legs, in other words, the way we have, or a Sasquatch would have. Well, with most dogman encounters, the dogman people report seeing, they walked in a digitigrade fashion, just up on their toes, the way a dog would, or a horse would, or a cat would. So, yeah, I mean, that makes up the bulk of the encounters that come in. I'd say a good solid 90% of the encounters or more they are canine-style dogman encounters like that with the digitigrade leg structure. So, yeah, cynocephali, they're always depicted as having hominid-style legs, basically the body of a man with the head of a wolf-like – I lose that – I use that term loosely – but a wolf-like head on that man-like body. So, no, it's apples and oranges. Hmm. Now, are, are the cynocephalies still reported to this day, or is that just something that seems to have died out completely? Well, that's a mixed bag right there. Some people, they think that type 3 dogmen are cynocephali, but who knows? I mean, all we can do is guess about that. Okay, now, I, I, you, you just introduced wow, something yeah. brand new to he me, did. <laughs> and that's the, the, the type system. Can you... Can you give us a breakdown of what does that mean? I, I've not heard that before. Are you guys comfy? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If you're not, you better get comfy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of friction in the dogman world when it comes to what are commonly called type 3 okay. dogmen. Some people say type 3 Sasquatch, but that's not accurate. Type 3... Whether you want to call them Type 3 Dogmen or incorrectly Type 3 Sasquatch, they basically are cryptids with a body that has hominid-style legs. Mm -hmm. They have claws on the tips of their fingers, claws on the tips of their toes. They can have heads that look pretty baboonish in structure and appearance. They can also have other kinds of heads. There are Type 3s that have heads that look very reminiscent of the werewolf from an American werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. There are several variations to Type 3s. But, yeah, Type 3s are any type of cryptid that... <clears throat> that has claws and has sharp teeth, a muzzle, and is hair-covered, basically, that has hominid-style legs. That basically, the term Type 3 encompasses that whole group of, of cryptids. Oh, so okay. that's about the best way I can describe that. And when it comes to dogmen, there are basically two classifications I use. You have the okay. canine type over here, which that, again... That makes up probably 90, maybe 95% of the encounters that come into me. And then over here, you've got type 3s. So basically, you have the two different groups and everything. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and of course, the, the, the stories seem to kind of spearhead out of Michigan, and at least in our, our modern references of it. But are, are they, is their range perhaps as big as? as what a Sasquatch's range is, is for, not, not personally, but I mean, just as is the species is spread out as a Sasquatch, or, you know, with the, the, the skunk ape, the grass man, the, you know, the wood boogers, the, you know, the, the different regions. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are the dogmen uh, as prolifically placed as that? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. they are. I don't know of any encounters that have been reported in Nepal, the way you have Yeti encounters, but uh -oh. yeah, they're all over the world. Australia, Serbia. I've had them come in from all over. Wow. All over the United States. A lot of people think, okay, yeah, the Michigan dog man or the beast from 
the Beast of Bray Road in right. Wisconsin. Okay, so that must be where you can find dogmen. No, you can find them in any state in the United States in the 48 continuous where – it's funny. Speaking of that, that reminds me. There was a guy who contacted me about five years ago from Rhode Island, oh. and he had just gotten into the whole dogmen phenomenon and – he was thumbing his nose at me talking about how, well, thank goodness I don't have to worry about dogmen here in Rhode <laughs> Island. Well, I guess he caught me on a on a when I was in a an ornery mood or something like that. So I decided to forward a link to a story about this dogman that actually was seen so often in the Rhode Island area that it had a nickname. Oh. But yeah, I mean, they're seen all over, and, all over. And there are uh, people in Australia that don't believe they're down there. Yeah, but <laughs> the indigenous people of Australia, they have legends about them. Not all the indigenous people in Australia have legends about them, but there have been indigenous people from Australia who have contacted me to tell me, oh, yeah, the people who don't think that we have legends about them, well, my tribe does. So, mm. yeah, they're all over there. I've, we've had probably three, four eyewitnesses on the show where they came on and talked about their dogman encounters down there in Australia. So Africa, yeah, they're all over. Not in Idaho. There's none in Idaho. I know there's none Actually, in Idaho. Actually, thanks, right Vic. Your house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, we, we, we have a friend named Cindy Goodbreak. She used to kind of run around with a, a bear in them uh, down in Texas, but she's, she's living up here now. And she was outside one night like a year, year and a half ago, I think it was, and she thought that she had heard something that sounded more like a dog man than a than a than a sasquatch. And of course, she's a sasquatch um, Re- hunt, uh, researcher. researcher yeah. You know, so you know, I kind of give credence to that. But she she only lives fifty miles away, and I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you don't, but. I want you to understand something. If you have a forest near you that's big enough to house a, at least a fairly respectable population of deer, mm-hmm. well, that that greatly increases the chance that at some time you have a dogman in that forest. Uh-huh. If that forest also has coyotes in it, mm-hmm. then that just catapults the the odds of you having at least at some point of the year that forest having a dog man or dog men plural in it these things are so much more common than what you would ever imagine it's just that if you have a sasquatch encounter okay the person's very unlikely to come forward and report it if you have a dog man encounter if you actually see something that looks like a werewolf then you're probably 20 times less likely than that sasquatch Mm -hmm. eyewitness to come forward and talk about it so i bet you good money you know people who have had dog man encounters of their own but they never came forward to talk about it. So you don't know that they had them. So is this interview over, Brent? Because now I need to go home and change. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, That's we... what spray and wash is for. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, we live, we live up here in North Idaho where there's mountains and forests and deer and bear and elk, I, yeah, elk and moose. And Caribou. You know, I have coyotes all over my place out there. And now I don't feel safe anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a healthy ecosystem like that, then yeah, I'd bet you good money that you have more dogmen around than you'd ever be comfortable knowing about. <laughs> yeah, one That's is a great too way many. To classify. A half of one is too many. Wow. One of their fingernails is too many for Don. Well, yeah, I've already eaten all the ones I have. <laughs> oh man. Wow. That is that's intense. Now, how do you let's say you're you're 
you're getting a, a, a witness coming forward to you saying, you know, I'm not sure what I'm dealing with. Um, but, you know, it could be either a Sasquatch or, or a Dogman. How would you, how do you differentiate or can you without a visual um, sighting? Is it impossible to figure out which it could be? Or no, it... not at all. Okay. It really depends on how good of a look the eyewitness got. But if they saw a muzzle, then it was a dog man. Some people would say, okay, well, a Googway, that's another nickname for a Type 3. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, if it had a muzzle, then it was either a dog man, such as a canine-type dog man, or a Type 3 dog man, a.k.a. a Googway, mm-hmm. or a Janosqua. That's another appellation for Type 3s. But, yeah, if they saw a muzzle, that really is the defining anatomical feature right there. That's easiest to pick out to know what you're dealing with. If they didn't get a chance to look at the head, but they did have a chance to look at the hands. Okay, well, did you notice claws or not? If they Mm -hmm. saw claws, it was a dog man. If it was hair covered and all the other pieces fit, because there are other cryptids out there like goat men and whatnot, rakes. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, yeah, did you see claws? If it kind of looked like a Sasquatch, it might have been a Sasquatch or it might have been something else, but it had claws. Well, that right there makes it a situation where we're pretty much talking about a 95% chance or greater that it was a dog man. Oh, so now, are there, you know, as we know, with, uh, and you, you've got a foot in both worlds as far as Bigfoot and Dogman is concerned, so um, I'm pretty sure you have the vocabulary for this, um, but there seems to be hallmarks of a Bigfoot encounter, like throwing rocks, like um, tr- tree breaks, can be structures, can be um, the, the knocking that, that's reported, mm-hmm. and, and, and of course the, the rancid smell. Those are all hallmarks of their visit without actually seeing them. And, and so we've come to, to, you know, just to utilize those to say, well, you must be dealing with a Sasquatch. Now, what are the hallmarks of a, of a dogman presence? How, how, how could you know they were there without, no, without a sighting? Oh, that's an easy one to answer. Whereas with Sasquatch, in most cases, it would appear that they don't really have that much of an interest in interacting with us humans. With dogmen, in most cases, they're pushing the issue. They're seeking out the eyewitnesses to force an encounter to happen. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that in most cases when a dogman has the chance to make an encounter happen at will – I don't have that information. I can't say that. Mm -hmm. But it's obvious over the years of doing this and talking with thousands upon thousands of eyewitnesses, it is clear to me that in, I'd say, over 95% of the cases where I spoke with an eyewitness about their encounter, Mm -hmm. it's crystal clear. The dog man, it made the encounter happen. It had every opportunity to remain hidden, but it pushed the issue and forced that encounter to happen. They don't really get into throwing things normally or or doing the things that you mentioned that Sasquatch are known for doing. Mm -hmm. They just flat out, okay, well, no need for any of that. I'm just going to come and get in your face or or at least make my presence known so that you see me and I frighten you to within an inch of your life and – Once I can see that that's done, that you are terrified to within an inch of your life, I move on. Now, having said that, yes, over the years, there have been four credible people who I've spoken with that told me that they actually were attacked by a dog man. Now, I can't share the details of those attacks, but I will tell you, when you look at this number four over here, 
compared to this number over here on this side of the thousands upon thousands of eyewitnesses I've spoken with who were basically caught dead to rights by the dog man or dog men they encountered, but the dog man or dog men let them go without so much as a scratch. Looking at the math, that right there tells us that these things are not wired to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to tell an eyewitness that, okay, yeah, you'd never have anything to worry about when you're around a dog man because they're safe to be around. No, I'm not saying that. Sure. I'm just saying that the math points solidly to the fact that by nature, they are not wired to be dangerous. I've used this example before in other cases, I think on a show or two, mm -hmm. where basically I use example to – kind of illustrate the fact that if you spoke with an entomologist, someone whose specialty was studying insects, an entomologist, for example, who focused on studying fire ants, mm -hmm. well, if they have been doing that for any period of time, you know that they will have spoken with who knows how many people who unfortunately came into direct contact with fire ants. Mm -hmm. You know what? I was playing with the kids in the backyard last weekend, and I was running around barefoot, and I stomped on a fire ant mound back there Ooh. that I didn't know was there. Thank goodness I I got up and I brushed the fire ants off of me, and thank goodness I never got a single sting. Right. Now, we know that those words have never been uttered, and that's <laughs> for one reason and one reason only. That's because fire ants are not wired that way. Mm -hmm. If you stomp on a fire ant mound, barefoot especially, you're going to get lit up. And that's because <laughs> they're wired to be extremely aggressive, mm -hmm. and they will attack if you do that sort of thing. Well, with dogmen, when you look at all these opportunities, all these eyewitnesses gave the dogmen to attack them because they didn't know that the dogmen were there. The dogmen had them dead to rights. Well, if they were wired to be so dangerous, those people wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be talking with me. They wouldn't share their encounters. They would be dead. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's why the math clearly shows us that these things are not wired to be dangerous by nature. Again, certain things can happen oh, where sure. you push the wrong buttons and wind up with an attack. But the numbers bear out the fact that that is a very, very rare instance, a very rare occurrence. So that's mm. about the best way I can explain that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's, that's a, that sheds a lot of light on it because, of course, as you were just stating, they do force, they do force the confrontations. And it's like, is, is there a thrill in that for them? I mean, or is it just a real strong territorial display like the, I'm here now and, and you're not going to be back here anymore? Or, you know, what do you think the motivation is then? Because it's not, they aren't killing people, uh, at least not regularly or that we know of, but um, they could, they sure could at any moment. But what do you think the confrontations are for then? What is the purpose? Well, I think compared to Sasquatch that dogmen have a much more acerbic nature to them. But when you look at the fact that you're talking about a huge, very powerful, very well-equipped cryptid mm -hmm. with long claws, talons, some people, some people call them talons, sure. on the tips of their fingers and on the tips of their toes, big, powerful jaws with big, long, sharp teeth, I don't think they have very much trouble feeding themselves. <laughs> and that combined with the yeah. fact that they're so intelligent, that leaves a very capable, very intelligent predator, apex predator, with a lot of spare time on its hands. <laughs> it probably yeah. devotes maybe half an hour or maybe an hour at the most out of the 24-hour day feeding itself. 
Because think about it. How much effort does it have to expend to take down a deer? Once it has, it's got a huge meal right there. So that leaves it with all this spare time to waste. That leaves them with a lot of time to kill and uh, to occupy. So maybe we're their favorite pastime. Yeah, and we we certainly hear that a lot from the Bigfoot world about them, you know, peeking in windows and and watching what we're doing and, and, uh, you know, obviously taking a big interest in what we're doing. So it's kind of interesting that that behavior may be shared by the dog man to me. Um, I guess, you know, we probably are the most exciting thing going on for them. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Hmm. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. Hey guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal Podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in now as far as intelligence do you think that they are uh like on our level of intelligence or is are they about as smart as the sasquatch well i mean it's all speculation obviously but i'm just wondering what your opinion of that is well, I'm pretty sure they're at least as smart as Don over there. No, I'm kidding, Don. I'm kidding. Oh, my god. That's gosh, my job. That. Everybody knows Don gets beat up. It's okay. And Cundiff lands a great uppercut. I'm just kidding. No, as far as their intelligence would go, no one's going to know for sure exactly how intelligent they are. But when you look at the things that they've done mm-hmm. – They must be really, really intelligent. I think their intelligence is borderline human level. I could be wrong about that, but over the years, hearing about the things that they've done from credible people, credible eyewitness after credible eyewitness, I think their intelligence does approach Mm. human level. Okay. Wow. Which is, I I guess that's good. I mean, they're smart enough to to know better, (laughs) you know, so that that maybe is why they don't eat a bunch of people. But, uh, you know, because I mean, in natural terms, I've said this on the show many times, in natural terms, we are like the slowest, weakest thing out there. I mean, (laughs) we're just lunch. We we aren't fast. We aren't agile. We're not good swimmers. We're not, you know, I mean, all we can do is think pretty good. But, you know, I I guess I'm glad that they're choosing not to. there was one question I was just dying to ask you, and now it slipped off my mind. But, um, I, oh, yeah, I remember what it was. I was wondering, uh, you know, again, with with signs and, and signals, 
in terms of how we know a Sasquatch could possibly be in an area, uh, tree breaks, maybe footprints. Obviously, prints will always be a, an identifier for anything, but uh, wood knocking, etc. Are there any are there any key things that seem to be uh, trade trademarks of the dogman that they do to establish their presence in an area? Well, about the only thing I can think of that seems to be pretty reliable would be the the gouges and tree trunks, oh. where I think they do that to brag and kind of demonstrate their strength and demonstrate their size. I mean, when you look up and see gouges, deep gouges in an oak tree, mm-hmm. five claw marks, deep claw marks that are maybe 16 feet up mm-hmm. and then raking down. Wow. I think that's really the only thing that they seem to reliably do to demonstrate their presence. Now, they will do certain things like leave offerings. They'll kill animals and leave them for people sometimes on their doorstep, but that's a lot more sporadic. Wow. But wow. the gouges and trees, I don't think that's done for our benefit. Sometimes I think it is, but I think if they do that, it's not done on a regular basis for okay. us, it's done for other dogmen to kind of say, hey, I'm here. This is how big I am. This is how powerful I am. Wow. That, that brings up another question. Do, do, you, do they seem to have family groups or are they more solitary? Well, I get asked that a lot okay. as far as are dogmen seen alone or with other dogmen most of the time. In almost every case, the dogman that was reported was reported as being seen alone. And that makes sense. When you look at a wolf, mm-hmm. the prey that wolves go after, they're normally so large that it's going to require more than one wolf to dispatch it. So with that in mind, it only makes sense that wolves are going to travel in packs mm-hmm. and and move about that way so that they can dispatch elk or moose or mm-hmm. maybe even a bison, a sick bison. But With dogmen, you're talking about a creature that's so big and powerful and fast, it can dispatch anything that it comes across. It doesn't need help. And also, too, when you look at the fact that it's going to have such a huge, ridiculously huge daily caloric requirement Mm -hmm. that if you have a number of dogmen in a particular area, yeah, they're going to deplete the resources so quick that it just wouldn't be in their best interest to make any habit out of hanging out together. So I think when you see dogmen together, I think that's definitely the exception and not the norm. Well, you know, that brings up another question because people speculate that Sasquatch may or may not migrate do dogmen have this tendency or do they particularly like to, uh, you know, get a den and, and just stay there? Are they solitary in that sense? Like, you know, or, or would they migrate? Do you think? Well, understand Sasquatch do have an advantage. The dogmen don't Sasquatch. They're omnivores, whereas dogmen, they're obligate carnivores. Mm. So yeah. Whereas an area might have a lot more to offer for a Sasquatch, a group of Sasquatches, yeah, for dogmen, if they don't have meat sources to feed upon, then their options are really limited. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, yeah, I'm convinced the dogmen, just like another any other large predator, they're going to have a huge home range that they just move around. From time to time, they can be found in any part of that home range, but it just makes sense that they would move like that because if they didn't, then almost overnight they would deplete their resources and they would starve if they didn't move that way. Sure. Excellent. 
Okay. That's really interesting. And, and I got to ask you, um, this was a question that was uh, sent to me earlier, but there's these reports of, of dogmen seen in the company of Bigfoot. Do, do, are, do you suppose they could be cooperative mm. or are they? Because I've heard both sides. I've heard that uh, they have very established territories and are very territorial towards each other. And then I've heard that, yeah, they hang out together. So um, do you have any insight on that, Vic? I do. Yeah, I think it happens, but not with any regularity. No, I think normally dogmen and Sasquatch, they mix like oil and water. Mm. There have been plenty of credible people who reported seeing dogmen stalking Sasquatch, but understand too, it depends on the size of the Sasquatch and it also depends on the size of the dogmen also. But sure. yeah, people have seen dogmen prints right alongside Sasquatch prints and said, okay, well, that must mean they're traveling together. Well, Maybe, maybe not. Okay. I mean, people have seen dogmen stalking Sasquatch. If that's the case, then if you see those prints side by side, then in that case, yeah, the Sasquatch came through, and then the dogman that was trailing it, tracking it, it would come through. So, mm. yeah, I think that's... I think that's a situation where it's definitely the exception in most cases rather than the norm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I found that interesting because... Um, there was, what was it? I don't know. There was a story where, where there, there was the family that lived basically in between the two ranges on one side of the, of their, uh, property area was a, a pack of Bigfoot or a family group of Bigfoot. And on the other side was this pack of dogmen and, and they seemed to be extraordinarily territorial. And I can't remember the story. And, and as I was telling you before, I'm no good at, at, uh, trying to, to recall those events clearly, but, um, it, it it is interesting to me that that they have been seen that way, and I don't know. I you know it makes you wonder how would they even communicate because I I don't imagine they have a common tongue between them. Um, but is there a dogman language? That I don't know. Okay. I can tell you that there have been plenty of credible eyewitnesses <clears throat> who have reported being telepathically communicated with by okay. the dogmen they encountered. I don't know if there really is anything to that or not. All I can tell you is these people that I spoke with, they didn't give me any reason to believe that they were telling a lie. But, yeah, whether they have some kind of a language or not, I don't know. Maybe they can communicate in body language. That's just a guess. I don't really know about that. But something I wanted to share with you to kind of expand on the last question you asked about sure. whether they spend time together with Sasquatch. Yeah, there have been countless examples where people who had Sasquatch living on their property or around their property pretty much year round and they habituated them, had a relationship with them. I guess if you could call that having a relationship with a Sasquatch or sure. Sasquatch family. But once dogmen moved into the area or even a dogman, there could be a whole family of Sasquatch and one dogman mature big dog man moved into the area the sasquatch moved out they left mm. i can't say that that's always the way it is but there have been plenty of instances where that did happen so yeah in most cases i stick to my guns on that and i'm gonna say that in most cases that they they don't spend time together they just don't yeah. mix and that that would seem to be most natural to me i mean you know it's like you don't you don't see bear and wolves hanging out together, and you know any any apex predators like that. You would think they wouldn't want that extra you know that extra challenge for the for the food sources around. Right, so, right. 
and I imagine as you were saying about the caloric intake needs of a dog, man, probably a, a small Bigfoot would be easy prey, you know? And maybe oh, even yeah. big, maybe even big Bigfoot. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, the head to heads on that one. I've heard, I've heard stories on both sides of that as well. Um, you know, Bigfoot uh, took down a dog man and then another one dog man took down a Bigfoot. And I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know, but I, I don't know. There's so, so many questions about, about these things. And it's, it's such a, I guess I'm learning a lot already, Vic. You're, mm-hmm. you're really uh, schooling us here. And I love that I, because it is, it isn't easy to track down this information and it certainly isn't easy to track down credible information on this subject because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh people making some incredible claims. So, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here to fill in these gaps and help us understand this a little better. Well, like I said, thanks for having me and glad to do it. Okay, everybody. I think it's time we got to take a break. So don't go away and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. All right, everybody, and we're back, and we're back at it here on the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Buckle up. We're going in. Um, now, you had to, you had mentioned about witness reporting, and there seems to be some issue with, uh, you know, getting an, a, an approximate uh, size weight uh, from, from witnesses, and I'd love for you to elaborate on that. Well, where should I start? <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning, sure. Ba- back when I had enough time to be a true connoisseur of podcasts, I'd love to just sit and listen to Sasquatch-related podcasts or, mm-hmm. or cryptid-related podcasts in general. And one thing that would just drive me crazy is when I listen to an eyewitness or when I would listen to an eyewitness talk about how they saw this Sasquatch that was 11 feet tall. And then when the host wants to know how much they thought it weighed, oh, it must have weighed at least 400 pounds <laughs> or 500 pounds. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, right. yeah, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, that's really a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. People who see Sasquatch and Dogmen, they don't intentionally flub the estimates on how much they weigh, but in almost every case, they're way off. Yeah. I know that as a fact, and I'll tell you why. There's a scientific principle called square cube law, and that law basically states if you double the size of any object, if the proportions of that object remain the same, then the weight of that object is going to be increased by a factor of eight. Mm -hmm. So if you double the size of an object that is 100 pounds, then yeah, it's hard to believe, but that object will now be 800 pounds. I'll illustrate that for you. If you take, to keep this simple, if you take blocks that are one foot wide by one foot tall by one foot front to back, and each one of those blocks weighed one pound. Okay. Okay. That block, if you had to describe the size of that block, you would say, of course, it's one cubic foot. 
-hmm. in size. Okay, if you wanted to know how much a two-cubic-foot block that's made of the same material would weigh, what you can do is you can take a bunch of those one-foot-by-one-foot-by-one-foot blocks and use those to form a two-foot-tall cube Mm -hmm. that's two feet wide and two feet front to back. Well, we know to form a cube that size, it would take eight of those one foot by one foot by one foot blocks. So, yeah, now it's doubled in size, but its weight has been increased by a factor of eight. Now, some people years ago, I had some people in this chat room say, no, that's not right. That's not right, Vic. That's crazy. Look at kids. (laughs) Kids can be three feet tall. I'm a 200-pound man, and my Mm -hmm. son, who's three feet tall, he doesn't weigh – I'm not sure exactly what 200 divided by 8 would be, but he doesn't weigh that much. Well, understand, square cube law states that as long as the proportions remain the same, kids, they don't have the same proportions that an adult would have. Their arms and legs are shorter proportionally to their bodies than what an adult's Uh, arms and legs would be, their heads are proportionally larger than what an adult's would be, they just don't have the same proportions. Mm -hmm. But we can draw that conclusion in animals by using, say, a Great Dane and a horse, for example. It's not too hard to find a Great Dane that's three feet tall at the withers. And there are Great Danes that do push the 200-pound mark. Well, If you talk about a horse that's six feet tall at the withers, that's a pretty big horse. Mm -hmm. That's that's light to kind of medium draft horse territory right there. Well, a horse that's about six feet at the withers, it's not uncommon to find a horse that height that pushes the scales at 1,600 pounds. Well, guess what? 200 times eight is. Now, horses and Great Danes, they don't have the same proportions. Their proportions aren't identical. But when it comes to dogs, Great Danes, have proportions that are about as close to a horse's as you can find. So, yeah, square square cube law, it works. It's a reality. So when you look at the fact that a human who's six feet tall, a man who's six feet tall, he weighs 200 pounds, if you want to translate that into a 12-foot tall Sasquatch, well, if that Sasquatch had the proportions of a man – Obviously, a Sasquatch is going to be much more robust than a man. So this Sasquatch that's 12 feet tall would weigh quite a bit more than 1,600 pounds. But if that 12-foot tall Sasquatch had the same proportions of a man, then it would still weigh 1,600 pounds. So if you're talking about a 12-foot tall Sasquatch, who if you shrunk it down to six feet in height, it would still be a lot wider than that six-foot tall man. It would still have shoulders and arms and legs and a body that's a lot thicker and more robust than that six-foot tall man. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's that's great. I I think that's that's marvelous. Uh, And it, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, that's great illustration. Um, we got a question from a chatter uh, asking, have you had a cryptid encounter yourself, Vic? Any kind of a cryptid. Well, when I was hunting, and I'm an animal lover, I'll be the first person to admit that. Sure. But yeah, years ago, I was, it was about 40 years ago, actually, I was hunting a neighbor that lived two doors down from me. He told me about how he wanted to take me out hunting 
when season opened up, deer hunting that is. So he took me to his farm way out in the sticks. And he told me the night before opening of the season that, okay, well, tomorrow morning before dawn, we're going to get up and we're going to have breakfast and then head out about maybe half an hour before daylight. And I'm going to take you about a mile away from here and stake you out in this hollow. And then I'm going to move on after you get settled. I'll move on to maybe a hollow that's maybe one or two ridges away from you. And then we're going to spend the day where we're at. You're going to be there all day. I'm going to be over there all day. Mm -hmm. Well, we did that. And, yeah, he walked me out there to my spot. I sat down, got comfy. He moved on to wherever he went off to. And I stayed there until probably about noon, maybe 1 o'clock, I guess it was. Well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. He did warn me when I got there to his farm that he had this horse named Red that could be kind of dangerous to people who didn't know it. And he told me to stay away from Red because he's probably going to bite you or kick you if you do go anywhere near him. Well, I'm sitting there with my tree up against – I'm sorry. I'm sitting there with my back against this huge tree trunk. And all of a sudden, I hear this loud horse whinny, and it's right behind me. I mean, it sounded like it was just maybe 10, 20 feet behind me, I would guess. (laughs) Well, at first, I thought, oh, no, Red followed us all the way out here. (laughs) And then reality struck. Here I am on this really steep bank of this hollow that was way too steep for a horse to ever think about going on. And number two, there was leaf cover all over the place. If he wanted to come to where I heard that sound coming from, I would have heard him miles away. So I never did see a Sasquatch in that instance, but the only thing that fits would have been that a Sasquatch was messing with me. It was probably, unfortunately, right behind that tree trunk at one point or the other. So, yeah, I think I had a Sasquatch behind me, i.e. a cryptid encounter, but, yeah, I never did see it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's my encounter, too, was just hearing uh, a deep resonant growl that shook my body. Um, and, and, it, and it was, yeah, I just couldn't turn around. I mean, I could have physically, I just couldn't emotionally because I thought whatever made that noise is going to kill me. And uh, it was the most terrified I've ever been in my life. And now listening to you talk about Dogman, <laughs> maybe it was a Dogman. No, now I'm just more terrified. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know. Um, we have another question. From our chat, I'm I'm trying to keep up with them. There's a lot there's, of questions. There's a lot of questions. Well, Don, you've been watching. Why yeah, you know one ahead. of one of the questions, and and I believe you've you've kind of uh, gone over this real quick. But somebody asks, um, uh, do do they communicate with us? And if they do, do they do it through um, um, telepathy? And I think you mentioned it. So if you could give a little bit more on that. Well, any time that an eyewitness reported communication happening, it's always been in the form of telepathy. Okay. Now, again, I don't know if there was anything to that, if it was maybe imagined, but it's reported enough where I think there is something to it. I don't think the eyewitnesses imagined it. But any time an eyewitness has reported to me that they had some form of communication going on. It was always in the form of telepathy, never verbal speech. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. Now, uh, uh, one of our chatters, Les, he's asking, what would be the odds of one or more dogmen living in close proximity of a city with a wooded subdivision? So you mentioned, you talked a little bit about that. What about in a, in a city type subdivision setting? Oh, these things are so bold that 
Whereas you would think a Sasquatch would be kind of put off by that, but Sasquatch do come in and they do occupy areas pretty close to where we live, mm-hmm. right on the fringes of where we live. But yeah, dogmen, they're so much more bold that they're a lot more likely to do that. Mm-hmm. They're not put off by the fact that people are here, people are there. No, they're going to go where they want to go and they're going to do what they want to do and that's all there is to it. Wow. No, I think that that the chances of running into a cryptid on the fringes of a suburb or some other place like that, if you run into a cryptid, I think you're much more likely to run into a dogman than you would be a Sasquatch because of how bold they are. There are people, people have spoken, have told me about instances where they've been inside the city limits of major metropolitan areas where dogmen came right in, broad daylight. They came into the, the developed areas. So how's that for bold? Yeah. You know, there are there are Sasquatch uh, reports from <laughs> Detroit and and Chicago mm-hmm. and, you know, the city. So, yeah, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't uh, surprise me at all if these things were that bold, because we know that uh, Sasquatch have been pr- pr- reported to be as bold if you know, in that sense, you know, of the doing what they will, you know, maybe we're talking about a rogue squatch or, you know, whatever, you know, a loner, whatever that may be. But, you know, there, it certainly makes sense to me that, that dog men would pretty much do what they want. Um, so there is a story from, um, Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, and I heard this years ago on, on uh, Mr. Art Bell's show, years ago. I think it was like 96 or 97. Uh, he was talking to some people who were, um, uh, you know, investigating Skinwalker Ranch. And they said that they were out there on a hillock one night and they had a camera and a telescope. And f- uh, I don't remember if it was infrared or if it was FLIR. But, oh, well, yeah. So anyhow. Um, but they said that they saw a portal open up. And what they believe to be a dog man come out. Now, this is leading up to the question. Uh, one of our chatters, Titan, uh, he's asking, does Vic suppose there are any supernatural elements to dog man? If you do this for any period of time, you're going to bounce back and forth from at one point being convinced that they are supernatural in origin to being convinced that they must be flesh and blood. To illustrate my point, if they're supernatural, then why are they seen on a regular basis eating rotting carcasses, roadkill carcasses on the side of the road, drinking stagnant water out of nasty ponds, showing that, that females must be fecund? Seeing females moving around, dog women, I guess you could call them, moving around with pups. So if they're supernatural, why would people report that? Credible eyewitnesses report that. Then on the other hand, if they were flesh and blood, why are so many reputable, credible eyewitnesses reporting seeing them doing things that point soundly towards them being supernatural in origin? So you bounce back and forth. From one moment to the next, being mm-hmm. convinced that they are flesh and blood to being convinced that they're not. So I can't really answer that question for you. I don't know. I don't know. All I can do is guess on that. Sure. Yeah. I think that's that's fair enough to it. But in the same thing would be true. If, you know, when I first started doing the show, 
I was sure that Bigfoot was this, you know, this hominid. It was, it was just a hominid that had somehow evaded us. But through the years, reading stories, talking to people that have witnessed things firsthand, you know, I gotta, I gotta think. You know, can they all be wrong? Can they, can they all be telling me just a bunch of bunk? Well, I suppose it's possible. But just in talking to people and what they've witnessed, I, I, I've just come to the point where I have at least an open mind for the idea which is a big stretch for me because, you know, I tend to be a logical person in many regards and it's, you know, some of that stuff is really hard to get your head around, but I, I've got to tell you that I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the same place where I'm, I'm, I don't know for sure, but at least I think anything is possible. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. <clears throat> wow. It's, it's so far, I've just been like, you know, literally on the edge of my seat because, you know, we, we hear so many things about, um, you know, dogmen and how aggressive they are. And, you know, we get this picture of this violent, snarling, you know, blood dripping, fangy, you know, <laughs> creature. Um, but you have pointed out, you've pointed out that in the reports you've had, you've had four out of the thousands you've gotten that have reported attacks. Has there ever been bodies found that were, that were possibly associated with a, a, a dogman attack that ended in the loss of life? Yes, there have been. Most people who follow the dogman phenomenon, they know about the supposed murders that took place in the LBL, Land Between the Lakes, mm -hmm. right there at the border of Kentucky and Tennessee. Well, yeah, over the years, I've kind of changed my tune from doubting the legitimacy of those to being pretty much convinced that that really did happen. But, yeah, there was an instance, if you don't know what happened down there or supposedly happened, there was a family who was camping out in the LBL in this RV. And it would appear that a dog man killed, attacked and killed the husband, the wife who was there, the son, and there was also a daughter. The daughter was found in a tree. Her remains, that is, were found in this tree. But... That happened, and then later on, years later, there was a bow hunter who apparently was killed and then dragged off miles away from his tent. Wow. But, yeah, those two inc incidents, for a long time, I thought it was just something that someone made up. But as time has gone by after talking with certain people, yeah, I do believe that those actually did happen. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely terrifying. And, you know, there wouldn't be a thing you could do. <laughs> no. We'd have absolutely no, without, without even firearms. Now, that's another point, Vic, that I wanted to talk with you is, is the stories upon stories upon stories of people shooting these things and surely mm -hmm. shooting them. Like they, they can see where the bullet impacted, but it doesn't seem to phase them. And, and it, what is that all about? I mean, I don't believe they're bulletproof, but are they just that hard to kill or what's going on? That's a really good question. I mean, I've spoken with eyewitnesses, credible eyewitnesses, who have talked about, well, I guess one eyewitness at least, mm -hmm. who talked about shooting one with a forty-five seventy more okay. than once, wow. and that didn't get the job done. So, 
Yeah, it really does make you wonder, what does it take? And if that's the case, if there are so many instances where people have fired on these things, people who don't tend to be the kind of person to miss, if you know what I mean, with formidable weaponry, and that still didn't take the dogman down, that does make you wonder, okay, well, are they ethereal in nature after all? Mm -hmm. Because a flesh and blood entity, I don't care... If you think they have some kind of funky reinforced rib cage or any of the other ideas I've seen floated around there. No, no, they don't have some kind of Kevlar reinforced rib cages because they're genetically engineered mm-hmm. monsters that the government set loose. They might be genetically engineered. Some might be genetically engineered, but yeah, it's just impossible to explain away how so many people could fire on these things with formidable weaponry and not take them down. I don't know what what's behind that. I don't know how to explain that unless they are supernatural and in origins. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah, I, I wrestle with that one too because I mean, you know, I've shot a bunch. I've shot a lot of different caliber and and you know, if it's going to go through a, a you know, like a 4x4 four four oak post I can't imagine that there's any body that would resist that same right. round, you know, yeah. or any any amount of bone, you know. And I suppose, you know, I know like elephant guns are a huge gun, but you know, if you've got a, a like a, a a real full metal jacket round, and you know it's fired from a decent caliber, it should be tearing through everything physical. Um, but yeah, and it, it, that just always bothered me because. How? How? <laughs> how? Yeah. How? how? How is that happening? What's going on? Because I don't get it. Um, now you hear the same reports about people shooting Bigfoot allegedly, and and uh, in those in several reports that I've heard from these claims, they're dropping these animals or these beings. I don't want to call them animals because I don't want to be you know degrading or whatever. But but you know not so for the dogman, and that just really perplexes me. But again, you know I, I know we don't have an answer, but just it's such a curious thing. I don't know. We got another. It is. Yeah. Um, let, let's see. What is this question? Does Vic think? Uh, oh, what does Vic think about the popping sound that occurs during some encounters? And I think what the person's referring to is people that have seen them quadrupedally and then moving to to bipedally. Um, there's claims of of like a popping sound. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. After one of the episodes where the eyewitness talked about witnessing that, I think it was the day after, or maybe two days after that episode aired, that a surgeon contacted me, reached out to me, and he talked about how if they have a hip structure that's basically designed to allow them to ambulate both quadrupedally and bipedally, that it would make sense that as the hip joints realigning itself, to transition from one to the other, that you would hear that popping sound. Now, I'm just a layman. I don't know how accurate that postulation is. I don't know if if there really is something to that. All I can tell you is that someone who appeared to be a a physician contacted me and told me that that would make sense. Mm -hmm. So, gosh, that's out of my... Yeah, that's out of my clubhouse. I couldn't really tell you for <laughs> sure any more than that about that. 
Right. You know, that makes sense though, because me just getting out of bed sounds like that, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, you know, you go from that totally rested position to having to get up and your hip pops, your shoulder pops, your neck pops. <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> Standing up is, is a hard thing to do in the morning, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you just transition from prone position to bipedal yeah. and it's full of noise. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Snap, crackle and pop. Oh, yeah. I don't need to eat. I've already had breakfast. <laughs> All right. But. We yeah we've got uh, you know a lot of questions I don't think I'm hitting even half of them they're flying by well but... here's an interesting one Carlson sent this in uh, pharmacy he says uh, uh, will Vic talk about the Fed agents that showed up on a few cases with special electronic equipment hmm well anyone who listened to the episode episode 190 where brandon close came on and talked about that i think he came back for episode 191 also and talked about that but you know as much about that as i do the feds some alphabet letter team showed up the next day after he contacted his local sheriff and told him about this dogman problem that he had on his property in rural new york state and yeah, the next day or maybe two days after that, this team, this federal team showed up and he says that they had this dish that could emit some kind of a strong sonic pulse that was basically like a hopped up dog whistle mm. in effect. And they think that drove the dog man off. I don't really know any more than that mm. about what happened or what supposedly happened or or any more than any of you who listened to that episode. So mm, sure. I don't really have anything more for you on that. Speaking wow. of upstate uh, New York, uh, I was talking with Adam of Blue Line Bigfoot, and, and he just wanted me to relay that uh, he, he wanted to thank you for all the help you gave Clara, apparently. And, and I, I don't know anything more than that, but he just said, you know, to make sure to mention that if I would. So from Blue Line Bigfoot, guys, thank you for helping Clara. Does that make sense? You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> all right huh. i just had to make sure to do that oh yeah he's a, he's in the chat right now so very cool wow. i did it adam i remembered yeah, you're, <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> wow now i know we've got some uh audio files that you sent along and i i know the conversation was just going so crazy i couldn't bring myself to stop it i know so um but uh ladies and gentlemen vic sent a couple of uh sound files uh from from the the dogman encounters show and uh, we're going to play a few of those for you guys. And you're going to hear some of what goes on, on on the show there. But I think we'll start out with the narrated story, Vic. Okay? Sounds good. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is from, uh, from Dogman Encounters episode. So, here we go. All right. Launch. I live in southern Ohio near the Ohio River. A few friends and I decided to go explore an abandoned hospital that backs up to a giant hill and large forest across the river in Maysville, Kentucky. It was a local spot for dumb teenagers to go and scare each other and make out with their girlfriends so running into other people wasn't uncommon. You could usually tell if other people were there because there would be cars parked near it. That being said, on this night we were the only dumb teenagers there. The moment we got out of the car, though, everything felt wrong. We knew we weren't allowed to be there because the building was condemned, but it felt like we were actually in danger, which, of course, we always were because it was condemned. It just felt different, though. Now, by this time, I had been to Hayeswood Hospital 20 times or so and was familiar with the layout. 
Once the three of us had been inside about 45 minutes, we split up to tag some different places and explore. I went to go take pictures of the morgue in the basement to see if I could photograph any orbs or anything really cool. I had been in the morgue about 10 minutes when I smelled the foulest smell I've ever smelled. It was rot. I didn't know what was rotting. I imagined it was a large dog or a coyote, but all I could make out was that it was about 40 pounds of rotting meat. I had just started to look at the meat junk when I heard a steel door slam and what sounded like something running through puddles of water, which meant whatever it was, it was in the basement with me because the floor had about three inches of water standing on it. So naturally, I figured it was my friends playing a prank on me. That was when I decided to get them back and scare them before they could scare me. Now, the way the morgue was set up, you could actually climb on top of the coolers they used to store the bodies, so I hopped up there and laid in wait to scare the crap out of my friends. I had been there no more than a minute when I heard screaming. Now, I've known my friends my entire life, which at this point had been 19 years. I've never heard screaming like this before. The screaming stopped and I heard hard footsteps running above me in what I could best describe as pounding. Now I'd be lying if I said I wasn't freaking out a little bit because this wasn't like my friends. It was usually hide behind a corner and jump out and go gotcha. This was different. This was dread I was starting to feel. As I continued to lay there, about five minutes had passed when I heard panting and footsteps in the water. They were getting closer. That was when I smelled wet dog, but it wasn't just wet dog I was smelling. I was smelling that same smell of rot too. Then, another steel door slammed, and I could tell it was the same door I passed before I got to the morgue's door. The panting was even louder now, and honestly, it sounded more like labored breathing and sniffing. Now, at this point, I was terrified. I tried to slowly back away from the edge of the cooler I was on so I could slip behind the wall the cooler backs up to and drop into the boiler room. I was almost to the end of the cooler when I heard the morgue door slam open and break the tiles on the wall with the door handle. I was less than 35 feet from whatever was panting and smelling like death, and all I could do was think, run, run, run. I could hear the sniffing, and then I heard the deepest, most menacing growl I'd ever heard. The movies and shows don't do justice to just how deep and rough a growl of that size sounds. It was sniffing me out. It was actually smelling where I had been. I dropped down behind the wall in the boiler room and thanked God that the door that connected the morgue to it was blocked with old gurneys and a locker on its side because I thought that would stop that thing from getting in. I was wrong, so very wrong about that. I hadn't been in the boiler room 30 seconds before I heard pounding and scratching on the steel door. It sounded like Freddy Krueger was trying to carve his way through the steel door. Then I heard a sound that still haunts me to this day. It howled, and I mean it bellowed a howl so loud I had to cover my ears. Now on the other side of the boiler room was access to the generator, the dock doors trucks used to unload, and the hillside that leads to the woods. When I reached the other side of the room, I could hear this thing slamming into the door and knocking the lockers and gurneys away. I opened the door to the dock room, and when I looked back, I saw the arm of this creature sticking through the opening it had made, and it was like a horror movie. It was a gray and brown mass of fur. It looked like a human arm, but in a way it didn't because the hand was all wrong. The hand had five digits, but the claws would have made a bear run in fear. I slammed the door behind me and ran for the dock doors. The dock doors wouldn't budge. I could hear the gurneys overturning and the lockers sliding on the floor. 
It was getting through, and the only thing between me and it now was a single door. I ran to one of the windows by the dock doors and proceeded to bust it out, which mangled my hand from the glass. Then, as I was pulling myself through the window, I heard the door get slammed into, and one of the hinges completely flew off the door and hit the wall. I tumbled out of the window and hit the cold, wet ground. When I stood up, I saw it in the doorway. Now I'm six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds, not little by any means, and this thing took up the entire eight foot tall by three foot wide doorway. It was covered head to toe in gray brown fur and had a very narrow snout, almost like a Doberman pincher. Its ears were just barely visible because of the doorway, but I could tell they were pointing up just like a dog's. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was completely paralyzed. This thing was staring right into my soul, looking at every delicious part it was going to enjoy. I've never felt like an item on a menu before, but I can tell you, it's terrifying. Then it snarled, and that woke me from my disbelief of what I was seeing. I turned and ran. I ran up the hill into the woods to get around the hospital and get back to the street where the car was parked. I hadn't made it 25 feet when I heard it clawing to get out the window. I knew I would never make it to the car this way, so I ran back towards the hospital where the fire escape ladder was. I had used the ladder before to climb to the roof to take pictures of the entire town. I completely skipped the first three rungs on the ladder and now was inside the enclosed part of the fire escape. Again, this thing howled and I could feel waves of pure terror filling my body. My hand was killing me at this point and I was getting blood on everything. Just as I was reaching a first floor window I could climb into, this thing slammed into the fire escape ladder, knocking me down a couple of rungs. Then it leaped onto the outside of the fire escape and began clawing at my feet. Just as I reached the window, I felt it, pain like nothing I'd ever felt. It had grabbed me just above my ankle and yanked, and in doing so, shredded my boot, the end of my jeans, and my flesh. I was able to pull myself into the first floor window and heard it push itself off the fire escape and head back the way it came. Now at this point, I was dragging my left leg and was trying to keep my right hand in my hoodie pocket. The entrance we came in was only about 150 feet away down the main hall and around a left turn. As I was halfway down the hall, I heard the steel doors slamming again. I was dragging myself down the hall, just trying to stay focused on getting out of this hellhole when the howling started again. I could hear it getting closer. I made the turn and heard pounding coming up the stairs from the basement. I made it to the entrance then and heard the padding of hands and feet on the floor. I made the mistake of looking back just as it rounded the corner and saw that it was running on all fours like a real dog. I bolted down the hill towards the street where the car was parked and realized the car was gone. They left me. My only means of escape was gone. I just zoned out and kept running down the hill. My leg was throbbing, my hand was in agony, and all I could think was, I'm going to be dog kibble. Finally, I made it to the first house I could find and ran full force into the door. I began pounding on it like a crazy person, and thank God this little old lady was home because she opened the door. When she did, I literally fell inside, and just before I kicked the door closed, standing up on two legs at the end of her driveway was this monster. I broke down in tears. I didn't know what to do. Luckily, the old lady had called the cops because a crazy person who was bleeding everywhere just fell into her home. When the cops got there and asked me what happened, I told them the same thing I've said here, and of course they didn't believe me. They thought I was on drugs. 
The EMTs took me to the hospital, and when they did blood work and found no substance in my system, they concluded I was attacked by a wild dog. I ended up with 36 stitches in my leg and 17 in my hand. I had to get rabies shots and tell the local wildlife officer my story. He informed me that they had reports of wild dog packs running around outside the town, ransacking garbage cans and killing some of the local pets. I informed him that it wasn't a pack of wild dogs. It was a giant dog man, but they all just thought I was crazy. The only thing I had in my favor was the claw mark on my leg. Even the doctors were confused about how a wild dog could make a mark like that. Now you know my story and you know why I absolutely know we're not at the top of the food chain. I've never been back to Hayeswood Hospital and I've deterred anyone from ever going there. That experience has haunted me for the last 11 years of my life. It's made me into the overcautious man I am. I always have to know where every exit is when I walk into a building and I always have to know where large clumps of woods are. This experience changed me forever and it changed the way I look at the world we live in. Just because we all haven't seen something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means some people haven't been hunted for their life. I have no doubt what stalked me that night was the dog man. I know it in my bones. Wow. That is so intense. Wow. Oh yeah. my God. You know, you just, you know, like you said, you know, just dumb kids out doing dumb kid things, you know, and this is the kind of, you know, encounter you have. You end up at some little old lady's house and they, the cops take you off to the hospital and they make you, you know, give up blood and, and, <laughs> and try to figure out what you're on this time. Yeah. Um, you know, well, he didn't say this time, but what you're on. You know, because it is an unbelievable story, you know, being, you know, attacked in the in, a, in an abandoned morgue and getting out the window and it pounding it, chasing you all the way down. You know, um, I wonder if there's something that um, pre, pre, you know, uh, what went on before uh, with this dog man or if it was just maybe he was just too close to, you know, where the dog man's den was. What if he was you know, habitating that, that, that old rundown abandoned, uh, hospital. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Vic? Sorry about that. Had my mute on, oh. on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> Rookie. Yeah. It's possible a dog man that takes up residence in an old abandoned hospital like that. I don't think if you come into the hospital, it's going to see that as a challenge and come after you for that reason. I think if you come into the <clears> hospital <throat> in that situation, you just basically presented yourself as a source of entertainment. And I think that's why it came after him that way. Okay. So but you, it probably yeah, against, wasn't going to devour him, but it was just trying to terrorize him. That's right. Yeah, that's my guess. Wow. You got to admit, though, I mean, could you – it's – See, the hard part is is to put yourself in that situation with any kind of accuracy because I, I think it's one thing to have a mental image of it, but I just can't imagine being in that situation and seeing that huge, terrifying yeah. thing coming at you. I mean, how, 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 do you, how could this even person even move is, is beyond me. I guess it's the whole fight or flight thing, but I mean, it's hard to understand the gravity of that situation without being in that situation. Or some type, yeah, some type of that situation, yeah. Or, or to even appreciate the gravity of that situation, you know, and I don't mean appreciate in a good way, but just, to, you know, I, I mean, that, that is the kind of thing that would, that would 
could destroy a person afterwards. And it sounds like this person still has issues from that experience. Oh, yeah. When you have an experience like that with something that's not supposed to exist, yeah, it definitely could ruin you. But understand, I always tell eyewitnesses, in most cases, eyewitnesses have trouble dealing with their encounters because of their inability, due to no fault of their own, of course, due to human nature. Human nature is to blame. But most eyewitnesses have so much trouble dealing with their encounters because of their inability to see their encounters accurately for what they were. And consequently, they don't see the dogmen or the dog man that was involved in their encounter accurately for what it was and what it was all about and why it did what it did and whatnot. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows in our, uh, our, our vault of <laughs> journeys into the paranormal portal. So I hope you'll check it out. Check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash paranormal portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So, uh, stay tuned, but we love you all. Be good. Be kind. Be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody. <laughs>